Sarcoma Insight. Sarcoma Insight, this is our destination for education for both benign and malignant tumors. Welcome back, everyone, to today's episode of Sarcoma Insight. This is a follow-up episode, uh, which is very unique. Uh, a call back to a recent episode that was very popular with our listeners. But just to recap on our last episode, we talked about synovial sarcoma, uh, which is a, a rare soft tissue sarcoma that is commonly found uh, around joints, but is not derived from the joint lining itself. It's a bit of a misnomer with its name. And we're looking forward to having a new topic today. Uh, and we'll give you a, a little bit of an update on what we have to look forward to in the future as well. But easy, what, are we, what else do we have going on? Um, well, yeah, definitely uh, Sarcoma, Sarcoma Awareness Month is, is definitely big. The big thing that I would say is uh, in the Sarcoma Strong event, this is the 5K. Um, virtual is how I'm doing it. Uh, and that's between August 12th to 15th, I believe, of this year. Um, you know, you can go as an individual. You can join the team if you would like to join a team. I have created a team here at Mississippi. It's the UMMC, Sarcoma Strong team name. And you can sign on uh, to, to join that. And all the funds from Sarcoma Strong do go to support research uh, for sarcoma. Yeah, and they've they've really raised a lot of money so far. If you want to learn more about that program, you can go back to one of our early episodes where you can hear all about what their uh, program does and how it got started. It's a really great story. Um, but so today in this episode, we're very excited to present a continuation of our sarcoma stories segments. Uh, in these segments, we speak with sarcoma survivors, highlighting their unique experience along with their journey and passions. We've had previous stories from Dr. Kurt Weiss. And then the first part of today's story was with uh, Brandy Benson. And during the episode, we highlighted the importance of family in the process as her mother played a very important role for her. And we would very much like to welcome Tippy Benson today to the show. So thank you so much for joining us. Hey. Um, and as a reminder, Brandy Benson is an author, speaker, veteran, cancer survivor, advocate for sarcoma patients, and many other titles. Very busy and don't know how she does it. Um, but we're very excited to have her mom here with us today. Yes. Yeah. And Brandy is also here with us today. <laughs> yes. And uh, speaker, veteran, uh, and definitely a major advocate uh, for sarcoma patients as well. And so we're excited to have her. Uh, for this second part uh, episode. Thank you so much for having me. I'm super excited to be here and hear from a different perspective with my mom. We've never done this before. We've done like a small little interview, but no podcasts. So this is going to be fun. Well, great. Tippy. do you mind starting by tell us, telling us a little bit more about yourself? Where are you from? Where did you grow up? I grew up in California. You were in Hawaii for a while? Yeah, I, I took my kids to Hawaii when they were like uh, 12 and 14, maybe. I don't remember. And we moved to Hawaii and we lived there until they were totally grown. Did, did you have two kids in the army? Yes. Uh-huh. And one stayed in. <laughs> and the other one is Brandy. <laughs> okay. Yeah, you might be surprised. We have, we have quite some detail about your life <laughs> as well. <laughs> um, and, I, and so I think part of uh, discussion today um, is really to get a lot of your perspective. Uh, so this is from when Brandy got diagnosed 
as well as what the process was for you meeting people and uh, and then later on, probably get into a little bit of the impact on you and the family as well. Maybe to start off, tell us a little bit about what you remember from when Brandy was first diagnosed. She called me from Baghdad, I think. I think it was Baghdad. She said she was going to Germany to find out if her lump in her leg was cancer or not. And I told her it wasn't because she was young and healthy. And then she called from Germany and said she had cancer. And it was very sad because she was all alone by herself. We were all so far away. And I remember I was going to go to Walter Reed. We were all actually going to go on a vacation. But then this happened. So we switched all our plane tickets to go to Walter Reed instead. So Michelle, her sister, came from Iraq on um, R&R to Walter Reed. And we all met up there. And then we stayed. She had to get a bone marrow biopsy. It was horrible. I was really scared she was going to die, but I didn't tell her that. So I, I, I feel like I carried a lot of stress <laughs> because I didn't want her to see that I was upset. I never knew that ever. She never, I never saw her cry ever. She never, ever expressed thinking that I was going to die. She always said I was going to beat it. I was going to be okay. Everything was going to be all right. Always. So it's interesting uh-huh. that that's not what you really felt. <laughs> I mean, the doctors were saying it wasn't looking good, you know? Yeah. And so that's really, I, I have a question about that, actually. And uh-huh. as you say, you, you felt like she was going to die. I thought so, that because the only people I ever knew who had cancer, they all died. I didn't know anybody who survived. Had you heard of this uh, diagnosis before? No, never, never heard of it before. Do any research about it or look into no, it? No, I did not. No, I didn't. Because they say when you do research on the internet, you just make things worse. Right? I think so. you should listen to the doctors or something. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and Brandy told us a little bit about how it was kind of a long road, even getting to the final diagnosis. There was some discrepancy at first. Do you remember you know, what that felt like during that waiting process? A month. But I don't know. It was really a month, but I think it was a month. And how did I feel? I just had on a, um, it was like an acting mode. So I didn't really feel too much. When I was alone, I would let myself feel things. So I didn't really feel much when we were going through it. I was just trying to make her laugh and push her around her wheelchair, take her where she needed to go, watch TV with her. Play solitaire and beat me every single time. And then, uh, you, you shared with us some of your fears and concerns during the initial uh, time when she got her diagnosis. Obviously, it's hard to, to put on that strong face and knowing that you have those, those feelings deep down that you're, you know, it might be scary to share with her as well, just because of the reality of the situation. But what did you do to cope with that on your own time? Um, and what were some of the things that helped during the process? It was a little while before, like she told me about it. I think it was in December and I feel like it was January before I ever even went anywhere. So some time had passed and I was very upset during that first month. Like I was drinking a lot and I was crying a lot and I was talking to one of my friends and they were like, are you the one who's sick? Are you the one who might die? And I was like, no, like that. you better be strong for your daughter. So I did. I looked for ways to be strong and what I should do. And 
like make her laugh and stuff. I heard if you make people laugh, it makes them better. We laughed a lot. We had some really good times, which is strange to say to be in a hospital in that type of setting, but we laughed a lot. And oftentimes because we laughed a lot and she treated me like I was normal, I felt normal. Then I would forget that I was sick until I like walked past the mirror or if somebody was like staring at me and I'd be like, oh, okay, that's why they're looking at me, you know, differently than, than they would normally. But it was a lot of laughing, lots of laughing, lots of not not all bad times. I think it was more majority of it was happy times than it was bad. Yeah. Tell us a little bit more about that. You mentioned you like playing solitaire together or against each other. Um, what were some of the other things you like to do? Yeah, we played some sort of game. And so I was on chemotherapy and um, I just my thought process was obviously not working very well. And so I would I was really concentrating on trying to beat her. And I, you know, I just the, you know, all the dots weren't connecting. So she would be winning every single time. And as she would win every time, she'd look at me like, I'm so sorry. Like, I'm trying to let you win. <laughs> you know, it's like she has the last card and I have all these cards. I'm just, you know, not very well there mentally. But we played cards. We, you know, thought about all the amazing possibilities, how life was going to be in the future. You know, we just try to really focus on distracting us from what was really happening in the present moment. Um, I have a a question and really my my thought is you you know you speak about you guys thought about how things would be in the future looking back now did you guys think it would be would things be how how it is for you now No Yeah how about you mom What was I thinking her future would look like this Yeah Yeah or, or what did you think her future would be like After a while of seeing that she was hanging in there and things were going all right. And it didn't seem like what they were saying was right. Yeah. This is what I expected for her, for her future. I expected her to write a book. I expected her to just do everything that we talked about. And she did. And, and obviously <laughs> you were spending a lot of time with Brandy, but was there anyone else? Were there any other people who you felt like you could talk to or going through something similar um, to help you? There was no one for me. I think Brandy had people to talk to, like, because the military provided that type of thing. But I, I don't know. I didn't need anybody to talk to. I did fine. I was okay. And tell us a little bit more about some of your interactions with the treatment team and um, things that you felt like went well or, or things that maybe could have been done differently to make the experience uh, better. They did a great job at Walter Reed. I feel like there was only one lady ever the whole entire year we were there that was maybe not the best, but everybody else was great. The one who gave me the, who would give me the medication that I asked for. She didn't want to give her her medication and she was in pain or something. And I just lost it on the lady. That's a, an important point we bring up because pain um, and managing pain is a very important, important part you know, of the process. And that's something that we have to be cognizant of as practitioners to make sure that we are doing that properly. Um, and and I sort of identifying ways to be able to tell, you know, when we're not doing that well. So that's, that's definitely a very important point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they wanted, you know, just to make sure they're not abusing anything, but, uh, you know, I wasn't feeling well. I, you know, I was in a lot of pain and she was suggesting that, I didn't need the medication that I probably already had enough. 
Yeah, yeah. She told yeah, she told me that it was all in my head that like, you know, like you're gonna be you don't need this. And I think it's hard for people to understand, you know, you're not feeling well. You just had this really big major surgery. Big part of your leg is missing now. Like your bones are achy. You don't feel good. There's a lot of, you know, di- uh, side effects that happen with this. When people say they're not feeling well or they're in pain, it's probably, you know, they're probably telling the truth. So they should, you know, allow them to have their medication that's been prescribed to them. But she was giving us a very hard time. And my mom was not very happy with it and responded in different tone of voice. Sounds like she was uh, a good advocate for your care then with that. Very good advocate. Asking good questions, asking lots of questions, remembering things that I couldn't remember, signing documents that I couldn't sign because, you know, I was out of it or whatever. I think she was a really, 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 really amazing piece in all of this for my survival because I don't feel like I would be here if I didn't have her not only just like speaking up on my you know behalf, but like physically being there, knowing that I have somebody who believes in me, even though the doctors think I'm going to die. She thinks that somehow I'm going to pull through this horrendous diagnosis and, and make it. So that really helped me think that I was going to be okay. I know there was like one point I was so depressed and I was so scared and so sad and just so distraught with all the stuff was happening. I was feeling so suicidal and we had like this window and I was thinking, like, if I could just jump out this window and end it all, it's going to be okay. They ended up giving me out of it and, like, fixing my problems, my issues and stuff. But life was just out of control. But I always had my mom. So, you know, things worked out pretty well. <laughs> Amazing. Did. Yeah. And out of all those, go ahead, sorry, sorry, go ahead. Go ahead, Brandy. Yeah. Out of all the people that were there, none of them had a support system. Not like mine. So I think that's why I'm here today it's amazing and um tippy for you to be there and be that support system it seems like you had to uproot a lot of your life and move to be with her can you share how that experience was for you um going through that it wasn't hard because um i feel like i don't know god or the universe was conditioning me maybe my entire life because i had up and left things twice in my life and started over. So yeah, I wasn't scared at all to do it. I just went and did it. And I don't feel like I felt uprooted at all. I just had to do it. And it was easy <laughs> to do. <laughs> did you move everything? Did you completely pack up? Did you leave some stuff? Did you drive? How'd you get down there? How'd you get okay, to Walter so Reed? What happened was um, we were all supposed to be going on a vacation. So we had airplane tickets that were already bought, but to go to Hawaii. So we had to switch the airfare to take me and Donovan, Michelle's um, oldest son, the one who was in Iraq. And we, we went on a plane. And, and so I was, we were living in military housing. So I left, it was her stuff and I left it there and just me and Donovan left. I left a job, but it uh, doesn't matter. Yeah, I just have a question. Um, obviously, I'm sure it was a, a wonderful day when you were finally diagnosed as being cancer-free. And you tell us a little bit more about that. I remember the day. So I was, I had a lot of medication that I was on. So I was always just numb to stuff, like really numb. But anyway, so it was like September 28th or something. And I remember being the doctors and this, you know, this lady came over and she told us that I was cancer free. My mom cried and I felt happy, but that like, it never really clicked for a long time. You know, I was just like so numb to everything and just everything was 
so surreal. So surreal. You know, like months ago I was okay. Now I'm like fighting for my life and cancer's in my life now, potentially in the future. So everything was just very surreal. But how was your experience, Mom? Super happy. I never want to hear it again. I never want to hear <laughs> somebody tell me they have cancer ever again that I care about. <laughs> never want to hear it again. Do you still go with her to her surveillance visits or did you go to those? Um... Oh, no, I can't anymore because I, I move around with my daughter in the army with her kids. So we don't ever live in the same place. Me and Brandy. She's in Florida. I'm in Washington. And, um, we started to talk about being cancer-free and her visits afterwards. So you had to do a lot of uprooting. And you say you've been prepared for this, moving around. How was it after when you got to the point where you didn't have to be with Brandy all the time? How was it for you resuming life as it was or trying to get back into the job that you didn't, weren't doing anymore? Um, how was that for you? Uh, I went back to doing hair again and I was super scared. <laughs> I was shaking like I hadn't done it for years. I was nervous about getting, but it was easy to get work again. It wasn't a problem. It wasn't hard. Mm-hmm. I guess I felt maybe after everything was all over at the hospital, like it was finally over. I guess maybe I, I felt a lot of things at that point for a little bit because I couldn't let myself feel before it was over. So I maybe felt a little bit too much (laughs) and then it was over and I was fine. Was there anything that you both did to celebrate that day that you got the cancer free? I feel like we we were always celebrating even when she (laughs) was, um, even when she was going through the chemotherapy and stuff, they told us not to go anywhere or do anything, but we went out to eat, we went to the pool and we did everything. <laughs> this is not any advice, medical advice. Like we were not supposed to do those things, but we acted like I didn't have anything wrong with me. So we like resumed life as if it was normal. So I would go to the movies, I'd, you know, go out to eat, I'd do all these things. You're not supposed to, which is not good. And maybe my mom was doing it because deep down inside possibly I could pass away and she wanted me to have like a good life, you know, going through this. I don't know, but you know, we weren't supposed to do those things, but I, I did do them. I went and got my nails done. I had had a life, <laughs> you know. And of course, yeah. everyone's going to have a... <laughs> went out and bought a car in the middle of... I bought a car <laughs> in the middle of it. Like, I did a bunch of really strange things, but I do feel like it also, like, kind of kept me feeling normal in a way. You know, didn't feel like I was, like, a cancer patient. I felt like I... You know, I was just a normal girl or lady. Whatever happened to that car? I had to give it away. I just gave it away in um, 20, just recently I gave it away. Maybe in 2016, I had to get rid of it. I ran it to its last, like, its last drive. Like, it was done. It was, By the time I turned it in and got a new car, literally it was like pushing it to the dealership, so... But um, it went everywhere. It was all over the place. It, it drove. It drove nice. I loved it. It was my motivation to keep living. This is what happened. I think I told you guys on the last episode. But we were sitting down in the hospital room, and I saw this Chrysler 300 on on a you know on a commercial on a TV screen, kind of like drive by. And I told her I wanted to get the car, and she's like, "Let's go get it." So we left the hospital. Sometimes I like to say we escaped to the hospital. We left. 
We went up to this place. It was in Silver Springs, Maryland. Went to the dealership, went there, and, it, the, you know, they didn't want to give me the car because I looked all, you know, sick and at well. And we ended up talking to them and talking them into letting me have the car. And this is going to be the reason why I keep me living. I look forward to making the payments. Got the car. And I don't know who drove back to the hospital. I mean, like, which person drove the Chrysler? Probably me because it was my new car. But we drove back to the hospital. She drove my little Mitsubishi Eclipse car I had. And we had two cars now. And I, I loved it. I was so excited every day. I could not wait to, to get into the car and drive it around and, you know, or have a reason to drive it around a little bit. But that's when gas prices were affordable. And, you know, things oh, were yeah. I remember when. <laughs> yeah. Right. Now I want to ride a bike. Like, I don't even want a car. <laughs> Mm-mm. Yeah, we but, all need to get e-bikes now. Yeah. <laughs> I, I could charge up something cheap, but what do you remember, Mom? I don't remember very much about it at all, honestly. <laughs> Not about the car at all. I just remember it happened. I just don't remember it very well. Just kind of on that note, what are some of the most memorable experiences of the process for you? Okay, well, one of them, I mean, not memorable in a good way, was when I came back from somewhere and they're like trying to bring her back to life. She's on the floor. I think maybe I went home to take a shower at that little hotel that I stayed at and came back. And that was horrible. So that was a Ooh. terrible moment. Um, oh, when we were leaving the gym and it's like she was almost dying then too. That was a terrible moment. This is while she was getting chemotherapy. Yeah. While she was getting treatment. Cause there's a gym at the hospital there at Walter Reed. I don't know. I think those are the three bad things. And, the rest were fine. Memorable. I remember pushing her in the hallways in the wheelchair and taking her down to get snacks in the middle of the night. Are there any other things like that or routines or um, kind of things that you developed during the process that were um, things that you looked forward to each day when you had a visit? I was there all day long. It wasn't just a visit. <laughs> <laughs> she lived in the hospital with me. We lived did, there together. <laughs> did you eat hospital food all the time? Did you go out and all get All the time. I ate hospital food all the time. Well, first of all, at first, for the first few months, I had Donna been with me, uh, my daughter's son. And so we were in a hotel room that was right there, right by the hospital. But once Donovan went home with his mom, then I stayed in the hospital room with Brandy. And uh, how about this uh, question is... What would you share uh, or any words to share uh, with, you know, families who have uh, family members who've been recently diagnosed um, or at, at various stages of treatment? Do you have any words uh, of advice to share with them um, sort of from your lessons learned in the process? If you're helping that person now just to keep their mind off of it at all times. Just make them laugh and watch funny movies. And I think it worked. That and, that and believing in the future, right? I feel like that was really important. Like <clears throat> we fantasize about all these cool things that definitely felt un, uh, like not tangible at the moment. All these things I was going to do and how it was going to be a miracle story. I was going to write a book, you know, share my story, help these people that, you know, went through these types of issues and be there for them and have a, have a movie somehow, 
you know, all these like really cool things. I said J-Lo was going to play me. <laughs> she might be a little preoccupied with her recent marriage. <laughs> yeah. But we said like all these cool things that was going to happen. And so it made me be like, okay, like I want to see that happen someday. Like that would be amazing to to happen and to bring to reality. But looking forward to stuff. So those all, I feel like they all worked, all those things. And having somebody just there believing in you, even if the doctors don't, that really helped. I never felt scared, like ever. Now, at first I did, but because my mom was so sure and she didn't show any weakness. I didn't see her cry. I didn't see anything. She was so strong. I was like, like, I'm going to make it. It's like, my mom doesn't think I'm going to die. Like, I'm not going to die. You know, I probably can. I need to listen to her. And so I felt like everything was going to be okay because I had my mom with me. There was one time when she was very upset. She was crying in the hospital bed and she looked at me and said, I think I'm going to die. I told her, you're not going to die. You always say I'm right about everything, right? She said, yeah. And like I said, you're not going to die. You're not going to die. She said, I'm not going to die. Now, obviously, you have a, a big treatment team that helps take care of you, doctors, nurses, social workers, et cetera, who are seeing you in the hospital. Um, anyone in particular who was memorable, who really you were always happy to see and kind of helped keep you on the right track? Um, mentally, emotionally, physically, et cetera, during your, your treatment and your recovery? For me? Yeah, or bo- both of you, I guess. We can start with, with you, Brandy. I forget their names, but there were a few that I liked. Like the one guy, what was his name? It was a male nurse. He was super great. And then there was this really beautiful oh, lady oh, with yeah. long hair. She was super great. He was cool. He was really nice. Yeah, everybody who I remember. Mm-hmm. Everyone ended up being like, I feel like they were like we all got so close because we we're in the hospital for like almost a year straight. So everybody we knew by their names, we knew information about them. Like we were all like family. We all were so close. Everybody got along. Even the janitors, like we were really close with them, and, and you know, keeping up with them. But they were nice. We all got close to a lot of people, and we were there for so long. It's like it's inevitable to get close to the staff and the doctors and know them by name and their, you know, their history and stuff. So were there any other patients or patient families who you met during that initial process who uh, were going through something similar? They all were going through something similar, but the horrible thing is almost all of them died. Yeah. I'm sad. Do you remember I had just got there? I was in like the smaller room. So I was like a newer patient and, um, that janitor later who was cleaning up and we asked her why she was crying. You remember what she said? What'd she say? No, I don't remember. I don't remember. When she said, we asked her why she was crying and she said, uh, one of the girls had just passed away that night before. And then we were like, well, how did she die? And she's like, she had cancer. Like, duh. Like a matter of fact, like, what do you mean? Like, why did she die? That was horrible. Oh my gosh. It was so bad. I'll, I'll always remember that. Always. Wow. You know, I think um I think it's been really, really great hearing uh mom's perspective for sure, Tippy. Um she seems like uh very stoic and she was kind of the definitely the rock for you uh through the process. And and we that definitely comes through um uh, through right now. You describe everything as easy, but I feel like you're not giving yourself enough credit for <laughs> how hard I'm sure that was. 
to do what you did. Exactly. <laughs> she did a great job. She kept me alive. It was like, that's the hardest task. <laughs> Any other thoughts that you'd like to share with, with patients who are diagnosed or at different stages in their treatment besides keeping hope, which we know is what you mentioned earlier and what Dr. Weiss said as well? Um, I think a really good suggestion, maybe not for the cancer patients, but maybe the caretakers is to also get some sort of help as well, even if they don't feel, they're not feeling anything at the moment, like they feel numb, but it would be great. So at the end of it, because like my mom was saying, she was able to feel everything and, you know, it was a bit overwhelming for a while. So maybe if there was some sort of somebody also checking up on her and giving her some help and reaching out to her, maybe putting some sort of mental health boundaries and processes up for them would be something that'd be key. So their transition would also be easy as well. So if there's anyone out there who knows someone, even if it's not necessarily them as a patient who's going through the process, but who has a family member, close friend or a relative who's going through it, make sure you check in on them and, and see how they're doing as well. People are always thinking about the patient, but we got to remember to take care of the caretakers too, like you said. So I think that's great advice. Wow. Um, thank you both uh, for today. It's been really wonderful. And um, just to, um, to add, uh, Brandy, you also do, as part of your advocacy uh, work for patients with sarcoma, you work with Sarcoma Alliance, is that correct? I do. I do. Yes. Oh, this time we're, we're getting it in there. Yes. Yeah. So I also help out with our board of directors, one of the board of directors for the Sarcoma Alliance. And we help with grants with second opinions, as well as like resources and education for those individuals that are not directly affected and indirectly affected with sarcoma cancer. So it's a really great place for support and just information in general. Like you will find your tribe there, people that are probably have the same circumstances, situations, all of that. They're all going to be in this area um, with that alliance group. So that's also a really great place to just have support and just to know that people are out there for you. And then I'm also working with Hunter 7 Foundation, which is also super amazing. And they kind of, it's a little different. They focus with veterans that have been deployed to different regions of the Middle East and have come back with uh, cancers such as sarcoma cancers and um, just getting everybody aware of the toxic exposures that we've had while deployed and what to be looking out for and, you know, just knowing our rights and, and things like that. So those two things are really important to me and super passionate about it and really happy to be sitting on both boards there. Yeah, that's great. I think those are both great programs. Thank you so much for being a part of that. Um, and, and I noticed on social media that you had a recent meeting or conference with the Sarcoma Alliance team. I did, um, I did. So tell us a little bit about that and what your favorite parts of that recent meeting were and what you're excited about in the future with Sarcoma Alliance. Yeah, I had a really good time. So I think the, the most exciting part is these people that have reached out to me from years ago, like two and a half years ago. We've never met online, but I've been able to establish a relationship with them. So we're like friends and a support system, helping them through their cancer process and survivorship and all that. And then to finally meet them in person, it's so, it's just really nice, you know, just to know that you're a part of their journey. They're so excited to meet you. Like you're like this famous person. They're like, oh my God, Brandy. They're giving me hugs and they're telling me like, 
you know, all this information, how they pull through and, you know, and saying like, I wouldn't be able to make it without your support. Kind of like how my mom was for me. So it's just really rewarding to know that these people, you know, you have a, a really nice place in their heart, you know, you do. So it's really nice, but I learned a lot of information, all different types of sarcoma cancers and clinical trials and, um, immunotherapy, just learning about all this different stuff and cutting edge technology that's coming out and like different types of um, limb extending protocols and like these little nails that you can put inside the bone to make the bone grow longer and longer. It's just really interesting. I hope one day, like my goal, because I also went to the ASCO event that was in June, but I would love to like do a big presentation on like some profound research. You know, I just... I got to find the right organization to, to collaborate with, but to be able to like present, you know, some really cool findings would be amazing. So I'm looking forward to that. I think that would be really great to do on behalf of Sarcoma Alliance. That's awesome. That's all really exciting stuff. And, um, and like you mentioned, you had a really great support system, which is very, very clear to all of us today after speaking with your mom to be, like you mentioned, not everyone is necessarily lucky enough to have a tippy in their life. And so it's great that there's programs like the ones that you work with out there to help provide those support systems for patients uh, yeah. who are going through this. So I think that's really, really important. Thank you. It's, it's important. I know how important it is because I had that. So to be there for people to provide any type of, you know, if it's just hope or if it's a story or they see my story and they're like, oh, you know, if she can do it, I can do it. Whatever it is, if I'm able to be what, or emulate what my mother was to me to somebody else. I know there's like a fighting chance so they can, you know, they can beat it. Well, if you have even one iota of your mom's personality, I know you're doing a great job of that for other patients. So um, that's outstanding. Agreed. Easy. any final thoughts for us as we close today's episode? Uh, I mean, I think it's just been, been really wonderful and excellent and, uh, great combination, sort of getting uh, sort of two star, two sides of the story, and getting our mom's perspective as well. And you know, we really you know hope the best for all our patients who are diagnosed, as well as their family members. Um, and uh, we will be providing the uh, links to the website for you know Sarcoma Alliance on the episode description, as well as for Sarcoma Strong. With that I said, that concludes this episode of Sarcoma Insight. We always finish by uh, letting you know that it's important to note that every patient's case is unique and the treatment for each diagnosis is dependent on discussion with your team of physicians. Thank you for listening to this episode. And if you enjoyed the episode, please feel free to subscribe to our podcast and or follow us on Instagram or Twitter at Sarcoma Inside Podcast. Sarcoma Insight.